How many of you cheer for underdogs? Okay, all right, good. You know, uh, this year seemed to be the year of the underdogs. Um, You had, uh, I know a name that's probably not going to be well received here, but you had Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, who uh, were not supposed to be in the Super Bowl, let alone win the Super Bowl. They had receivers that looked like me. Uh, they had uh, defensive uh, linemen that were skinnier than me and wide receivers that were bigger than me. And they were, they were kind of all over the map. And somehow Tom Brady, the single greatest quarterback in the history of the universe, um, was able to lead them to four... Super Bowls, including this one, and then come from behind as he had four touchdowns, and then, of course, the one that you all, I'm sure, will enjoy, you had the Ohio State Buckeyes. There we go. That's, that's a little better, I think. And uh, you had the Ohio State Buckeyes, and you had a team in the Buckeyes who, who really didn't buy into the fact that they were not Alabama. Uh, you had, you had uh, ESPN, you know, oh, these guys have no chance, they have no chance, they have no chance, they have no chance. And I believe Urban Meyer and his staff and their third-string quarterback and could have been their sixth-string quarterback, whoever, you know, uh, they just went into the game against Alabama not really being, I would say, not, not being smart enough to know who they're not. <laughs> they, they just went in saying, look, we're not Alabama, but we're just going to play. And we're just going to do our part. And you got a third string quarterback walking on the field against Alabama saying, I know know I'm not Braxton Miller. I know I'm not even Guyton. I know I'm not, you know, this guy or this guy. And I know that we're not Alabama, but I'm just going to do what I can do. And we're going to win this game. And they did. And they came out uh, triumphant and then they went duck hunting and um, uh, we watched as the second half began. And um, literally, as soon as the second half began, I told my friends, we were a bunch of us guys were watching, I was like, this game's over. Ohio State's got it. They just have it. They were a team who, while they were underdogs, they didn't, they didn't focus on the fact that they weren't Oregon, and they didn't have 500 uniforms but no national titles. They, they, didn't, uh, they didn't focus on the fact that they weren't Alabama. They just rolled all over the tide. That's just what they did. Uh, it's, it's not very well known. Um, but there was another championship uh, this year, and um, I think ESPN 17 covered it. Uh, it's not very, not very well known, but there was an underdog in that uh, championship, and Eric knows exactly what I'm going to talk about, because Eric was the star in this championship. If you don't know Eric, you need to know Eric. Eric's the man. Eric was on my men's basketball league at High Street Baptist Church, and I think, I think we were on ESPN. I can't remember real clear, but, um, but uh, we were a team of underdogs. I mean, we were underdogs. We went into the playoffs as uh, fifth out of six teams, and um, we actually, now I know this would never happen at your church, but one of our pastors was running the league. And so he found out well, just how bad we, he thought we were after they beat us by 25 points. So he rearranged the schedule so they would play us because he was like, easy victory. But he had never met Big Eric. And uh, Eric came in in that game when we were underdogs and we were not supposed to be anything or anybody and we were supposed to be an easy out. And Eric had 12 points, 10 rebounds, 3 blocks in that game and introduced the world to Eric, all right? Yeah. Eric was like Cardell Jones out there, just throwing bombs and elbows. Eric has sharp elbows, if you don't know. Um, And then we went into the championship game. Now, again, I'm sure your church is not like this, but at our church, most of our team was not 
church people. We were, there was a couple of us from our church, and there was Eric from this church, and we kind of had some people who didn't go to church, and we kind of built the team that way. And um, the other team that we played, with the exception of one of their eight guys, all of them had played for that high school there. And they had all won Christian school division championships. They'd played together since they were born. So when we went into the championship game, they scheduled it on a Sunday night. Just so that after church, all the, the inner city or all the inner church could come and support this team that was going to face us. Because who are these guys who thought they were going to win against the mighty crusaders of High Street? And, um, and uh, we went into that game. I told our guys, I said, look, I want you to understand this is going to be like an away game at a public high school. The refs do not like you here. All right. They get paid by the other team and they're not going to make calls for you. The fans do not like you here. Okay, um, actually in the very first play, I actually cracked a rib and I was laying there on the ground and uh, I'm getting older, I realize. And one of the pastors looked down at me and said, this isn't Hollywood, Williams, this is High Street. And I'm like, oh, I just broke a rib. What are you like? It was like a cold blooded game. Elbows, trash talk. I mean, everything. The players on the other team were, were telling themselves, who are you guys? You know, like, who, do, who are you to think you can beat us? We didn't have like an all-star. We just kind of had a bunch of people who uh, just kind of all did their part. We had a guy who scored uh, like six points, and then a couple minutes later, another guy would get on a roll, and then a couple minutes later, another guy would get on a roll, and then Eric would throw an elbow and clean out their best player, and, um, you know, and, uh, and then we have another guy do a part, and then another guy, and it came down to the end. We were down by one point, and our, uh, one of our players, who hadn't really been scoring much that game, uh, scored like eight points in the last three minutes and, um, and uh, hit a free throw with seven seconds left and then hit the second free throw and we went up one. We drew a charge at the end of the game and we are the champions. <laughs> I say all that to say this. We were a team that we weren't smart enough to realize who we weren't. We really weren't. We weren't, uh, we weren't smart enough to realize that kind of everyone was against us and we were facing overwhelming odds and we just kind of all decided together as a team, look, we're here. Let's just all do our part and we'll see if we can win this game. The church of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 7 is in a similar situation, although it's a little bit more serious than a basketball game. They are facing overwhelming odds in what they're about to encounter. The church has just seen Jesus Christ go into heaven, and he left them and said, hey, I want you to, I want you to change Jerusalem, kind of like we are supposed to change Columbus. And he said, I want you to change Jerusalem, and not only that, I want you to change the world, and he went into heaven, and here they were trying to figure out, how do we even go about this? They're meeting in a room, and the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they go down, and Peter preaches a phenomenal sermon. And the church is added to daily, sometimes tripling in size per day. And um, they come up with a unique problem. One, the Jewish people don't like them. Two, the Greek people don't like them. And three, they don't have enough help to run the church. So they hire a bunch of people. One of them is Stephen. And Stephen is kind of a guy who we don't really know much about Stephen. He's, he's mentioned before, and he's done some things. He's done a good job, but he's certainly not Peter. I mean, Peter spent time with Christ. And, he, you know, Peter walked on water. And, and Stephen's not, he's never walked on water. 
Stephen's kind of just like a, a normal, everyday guy at the church. You know, Stephen probably, we, we don't have record of Stephen seeing Jesus and walking with Jesus. He's certainly not James, who's the pastor. And James is the one who is really getting things going. He's the brother of Jesus. And we, Stephen's not that guy. Stephen's kind of like us, just, just kind of underdogs. Just kind of a, a normal guy trying to help out in the church. But Stephen starts doing something. Stephen starts giving the gospel to people. And pretty soon, the church leaders call him in. And they say, um, Stephen, you're in this new church with Peter and James, and we're in the temple, okay? We're the important ones. Stop trying to tell us what we should believe. After all, who are you? After all, I'm the high priest, and you're just Stephen. You're not even barely going to be mentioned later on in the Bible. You're not the pastor. So stop trying to tell us what to do. Stephen then delivers what is considered to be one of the four most influential sermons in the Bible. A man who is just kind of an average guy. And we pick up in this setting the message of Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, I'm going to start reading in verse 37. Acts chapter 7, verse 37. This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he. That was in the church in the wilderness, which the angel spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us, for as this for Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. They made a calf in those days, and offered sacrifice unto the isle, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned. And gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, have ye not offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, he took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Remaphan, figures uh, which he made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought him with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him in house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophets, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is this place of rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have your, not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now been the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law the, by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. Lord, I pray that you would go through all of us into this community, Lord, that this city would become a city of people who don't know who they're not, and they, they don't know who they are, but they know who you are. 
and they know that you love us, and they just want to change, and they just want to focus on you, Lord. I pray that you go through that message today in Jesus' name. Amen. This powerful message is delivered by a man who isn't famous. He isn't a pastor. He's certainly not Peter. He's certainly not James. He's never really seen Jesus that we have record of. He is certainly not Paul. After all, everyone knows Paul. Paul would be on the Mount Rushmore of Christians. Paul is the one who wrote half of the New Testament. Paul is the one who started churches everywhere. Paul is the one who went to all the Gentile nations, and we find daily new evidence of churches being started by Paul uh, in in Egypt and all over the world. Paul is the all-star. Stephen's not. Of course, Paul is famous for writing and starting all kinds of churches, and one of those churches was the church of Colossae. I'm just going to read this to you. First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 17, Paul takes time out of a message and says, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Here's Paul, the all-star. Here's Paul, the celebrity. Here's Paul, the man who is changing the world and everyone wants to be around him. And Paul takes time out of a message to a church that he has helped co-found and that he is helping co-pastor. And he says at the very end of it, by the way, hey, Archippus, uh, take, te- take heed to the ministry that, that, that you're called to. And Archippus is another nobody. We don't know anything about Archippus. But here is Paul again saying to this man, hey, I know nobody knows who you are, but I know that God has a ministry for you. Make sure that you fulfill it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 23, we read some interesting words from Paul. For the preaching of the Christ is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. So often in my life I have heard this sermon. And I forgot two words that Paul included in there, us and we. See, what Paul is trying to say is God has a message specific for you. And that message that you deliver on Monday is just as important as any message that you hear on Sunday. What we have so often done in the churches now is we have come with this idea that, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit out here because after all, I'm not Pastor Leozzo. I'm not Pastor Denoff. So I'll just sit and I'll just learn and I'll let him give the gospel and I'll kind of go to work and I'll kind of come and learn, but that's really kind of it. But Paul, the all-star, said the words us and we over a hundred times in his ministry. Now where do you think he learned this from? Here's a guy who can do everything on his own, stands before Caesar, the most powerful man in the world. But in Colossians, he takes time and says, hey, Archippus, God called you to a certain ministry. It's not my ministry. You're, not, you're probably not going to stand before Caesar, but make sure that you do what God called you to do. 
And then as he's delivering in 1 Corinthians a famous passage, he says, hey, the gospel is to us, and we preach Christ. It's a simple message. Today, you have a message. You have a story. How are you sharing it? Are you relying on the pastor to turn the city of Columbus into what it should be? I believe that God has Columbus to be a city of fools. What I mean by that is a bunch of people who are just too foolish to know I'm nobody. I, I, don't, real, I don't know who I'm not, and I don't have all the answers, but I know Jesus, and I know Jesus loves me, and I want to tell you that he loves you. That is the message that we have today. I just want to tell you a story. Um, a year and a half ago, I went to a house, and someone had called me and said, hey, there's a boy, he's uh, fresh out of, out of being arrested for dealing cocaine, and um, he needs a friend. He needs you to come see him. I went to his house. I, I, I'm, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm not too used to being hanging out with cocaine dealers. I went to his house and knocked on his door, and uh, the door opened a little bit, and two pit bulls the size of the line of the tribe of Judah just started charging at me. I mean, these things are huge, just barking, foaming, snarling, two huge pit bulls charging straight at me, and I'm like, whoa. And then what scared me even more was the arm of the man who grabbed both of the pit bulls and pulled them back, because it was the biggest arm I've ever seen in my life. Like, his arm is as big as my body. And uh, this dude has like a big faux hawk, and uh, he walks like this, and he just kind of comes to the door, what's up, man? You the pastor? I'm like, oh, I'm not sure. You want me to be or not? <laughs> I don't know. I could be a car salesman. Do you want to buy a car? I don't know. And uh, he kind of said, hey, come on in. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be fed to the dogs here. So he, he got his dogs away. He came in, and um, Anthony and I began a friendship that has been very, very unique to me. Anthony started coming to church, and he had just been arrested, and um, he kind of was angry at God, and he was kind of angry at church, and his parents had kind of told him some things when he was younger that were like, if you're not going to be the pastor of a big church, then don't even bother trying to be a Christian because you're not good enough. And those words kind of cut into him. And he kind of gave up and figured, if I can't please Jesus, I'll please anybody who wants to be pleased. So he started dealing drugs, started doing drugs. And uh, started coming to church, and week by week, the change in, in Anthony was amazing. And uh, Anthony went one time to hear a, a preacher speak with me, and the whole way back, Anthony, the quiet, muscle-bound dude, became like the greatest Christian I've ever met and just was like expounding to me. I mean, it was amazing. We hit up Waffle House, as every good Christian would, should do, and he just was like, just word vomit the gospel to me, the pastor. Just, man, Jesus is amazing. Like, this is, he just kept saying it to me. The whole way back, two and a half hour drive, Anthony was just sharing the gospel. And I thought, oh, this man has changed. Here it is. He's changed. He's a new man. Surely he's not going to go to jail. Surely the judge will realize, oh, Anthony's changed. And they did. And they did realize. And the police officer who arrested him realized. And the prosecuting attorney realized. But he still went to jail. And uh, he still 
still had some things he needed to, to, to do. Got into prison, and this Friday, he, te- he, he can send me emails. He emailed me a, me- uh, a message, and it said, hey, man, I was, I was reading this book about Jesus with the guy who's across the hall from me, and I'm kind of trying to start a Bible study with him. And this other guy came in and said, you know, hey, uh, that, that's not right. There's different levels of sin. God doesn't look at you the same as he looks at me because I didn't do the same crime as you. And he kind of went in all that. And Anthony silenced the man. And he said, well, let me just show you what the Bible says about that. And Anthony, the guy with the pit bulls and the cocaine dealer with the huge arms and the faux hawk, shared his story of the grace of God in a prison. There's another guy who just came to church just a little while ago. He's a really good friend of mine. His name is Garrett. This dude is a redneck. Like, have you ever met a guy where you're like, that's a redneck? Like, there's redneck and then redneck. This is Garrett. Like, Garrett rolls into church in a camouflaged Ford Ranger with duck feet literally hanging off of his... Uh, off of his mirror. He's got camouflage seats. He's got camouflage everything. I didn't know they had so much camouflage, but he's got it and it's camo. Like his Bible is camo. His socks are camo. Everything is camo. He's got like, uh, we, we went and, and watched a football game together. And uh, my buddy Brian, who's here, uh, and myself, we're watching football and Garrett's over there blowing duck calls. Like, what are you doing, man? We're watching football. Oh, this is way cooler than football. Check out what I can do. I'm like, I don't, okay. Garrett came to church, um, started coming to Crossroads, our, our young adult group, last year. And Garrett came once and uh, didn't come back for, for quite a while. And then Garrett came and we were, we were talking about Jesus and who Jesus is. And we're kind of going through this study on that, and we, we mentioned that Jesus is not up in heaven trying to, to, to punish us, but he loves us, and he wants to welcome us. We've just got to go to him. And boy, halfway through, this big old redneck started crying, and we went to church that day, and he texted me as church was done. He said, I need to talk to you tonight. So we had church that night. And after church, Garrett, who talks 100 miles a minute, and I can't keep up with him, and he just talks and talks and talks and talks and talks. Garrett came up to my office, and for like 45 minutes, the big redneck duck hunter, Garrett, just bawled like a baby. And he told me something. He said, you know, I have spent my whole life trying to convince people that they should like me. He said, I've, I've used every way of words I know how to say to get people to just kind of make them so that they befriend me. I've never heard that you don't have to convince Jesus to love you, that he already does. So I've never heard this my whole life. We talked, I went through, through several stories with him, shared the gospel with him. I said, Garrett, you know what you need to do? He said, yeah, I need to pray. I need Jesus in my, my heart. Tell me what to say. I was like, no. You just got done telling me that you just say words to please people. I'm not telling you what to say. I said, I want you to just say what's in your heart to Jesus. I want you to let him know what you're thinking. I'm pretty sure he's going to tell you what he's thinking. Garrett prayed for 25 minutes. The most beautiful prayer I have ever heard a redneck pray. I mean, it was beautiful. 
He went through when he was young, and he just kind of started talking, and he kind of was just going on and on about, you know, my whole life I tried to please this person, so I, I said I accepted you because I wanted them to like me, and, and then when I was 13, this person, I knew that they wouldn't be happy if I said I was a Christian, so I just became, you know, a Christian because I wanted to make them happy, and I've never accepted you into my heart ever, and I need you now. Come into my heart. This is Garrett. Yesterday, Garrett texted me. He said, hey, um, I got a buddy who's a hunting buddy who has never stepped foot in a church. He's never opened a Bible. I'm bringing him to church next Sunday. I told him how loving Jesus is way cooler than hunting ducks, and he wants to know why. (laughs) Garrett's message is not my message. Garrett's not an all-star. Anthony's not Paul. Anthony's not Peter. Anthony's not James. Anthony's not even Stephen. He's in prison right now, and he's sitting down telling people, I don't have the answers. I, I don't know what to say. I just know that Jesus loves me, and he changed me, and he can loves you, and he can change you, and I, I'm just kind of foolish. I, I don't know who I'm not, but I know who he is, and here he is. Garrett's not an all-star. He's sitting right now probably blowing on duck calls in church with camouflage pants on, I guarantee it. (laughs) Garrett's not an all-star. He's not someone who'd walk in the door and you'd be like, oh, there's Garrett, the famous apostle. You're not going to say that. You're going to say, what's the dude with the duck calls around his neck doing? (laughs) But they have a message that reaches people and they're sharing it. They're not pastors. Some of you are not pastors. You're just in church saying, I I don't don't have the answers. I got people who are important and they're asking me and I don't know what to say. Give them Jesus. If we had a church at Fellowship Baptist full of people who in the auditor's office said, hey, man, I don't have all the answers. I just know Jesus. And a judge who said, I don't have all the answers. I just know Jesus. And a guy in the house who said, I don't have the answers. I know Jesus. And a guy who's a duck hunter and a guy who's a cocaine dealer and a guy who's on, uh, in real trouble and a, and a lady who's come here just because she's just trying to figure out what's going on in life. And together, all of us simply said, I don't have the answers, but I know Jesus. Some amazing things would start happening. So what happens when we share Jesus? A couple things happen right away. Number one, we're moved. When you give your story, you're moved. The automatic response to sharing Jesus is humility. It is the most humbling thing in the world to try to stand up here and say, hey guys, I'm a pastor, I should know more, but I don't. But I know Jesus, and he loves me. It's humbling. It moves us. Number two, it moves others. Now, yes, in this story, Stephen dies, and sometimes the response others have when we share our story is not always positive, but where do you think Paul learned that everyone giving their story is going to change the world? The end of the story is that as Stephen is dying, as he's being stoned to death, they throw their coats at the feet of someone who turns out to be Paul, the all-star. Where do you think he learned that from? Where do you think Paul got the inspiration to say to the church at Colossians, hey, tell Archippus, I know he's not Peter, but have him do what he can do. Where do you think Paul said, in, uh, where do you think he learned to say in the book of 1 Corinthians, hey, make sure that we 
preach Christ. Where do you think he learned that? He was moved because Stephen said, guys, I don't have the answer. I'm not Peter. I'm not, I'm not James. I didn't even spend time with Jesus, but I'm just going to tell you about him. Here he is. Here's what he's done in my life. Let me tell you about him. That comes when we share our story. And thirdly, when we share our story, God is moved. The end of the story is fascinating. We read it in Acts chapter 7, I believe it's 54 through 56. Stephen says something interesting. He says, I see Jesus standing on the right hand of the throne of God. I've read this story over and over and over, and it's no big deal to me. I've read it. And then one day I started thinking about that, and I looked around and realized this is the only time in the New Testament that God, as Jesus is seen, standing on the right hand. All the other times in the New Testament we read about Jesus, he is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. Something made Jesus stand up. I believe with all of my heart that it was Stephen telling his story. I believe with all of my heart that God said, hey, that's my child down there. I'm not going to just sit back and watch him. I want everyone, that's my child. We got students who go to OSU, they may not have the answers and they may not know everything, but when they just say, look guys, I don't have the answers, but I know Jesus, let me tell you about him. I believe Jesus stands up and says, that's my girl. We got people who go to work and you just kind of work a job and you just kind of don't maybe have all the answers, but someday someone at work says to you, hey man, what do you think about Jesus? And you say, well, I'm not Pastor Tony, but let me just tell you. And Jesus says, that's my boy. Right there, that's my boy. Look at my boy sharing his story. God is moved when we share our story. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 and 11 um, says, Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Here's the idea of that verse. The universe was spinning out of control. God would let it go. He'd grab onto you. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that we serve. It's not a God who we have to try to impress into, well, I'm going to do enough good so that you're happy with me. It's a God who says, if everything in all the universe is falling apart, I would hold onto you because I love you. I'm moved by you. We don't have a God that sits in an ivory palace and says, no, 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 you please me. We have a God who says, I love you. When you share your story, it moves me. And then when you're in trouble, I want to hold on to you. How could we not tell the story about a God who loves us so much that he's moved by our actions? How could we not go to a world and say, man, I don't have all the answers, but I know this, when I struggle, when I go through a hard day, I I know that he loves me. And oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us so. We serve Jesus, the God of this city, a city of people who are foolish enough To say, I don't have a fancy title, I'm not this person, I'm not that person, but let me tell you about Jesus. He loves you. And when that happens, 
God says, that's, that's my child right there. They, they may not know everything. They may not be a, a famous pastor. They may not have a church the size of Texas, but that their job, they shared me and I love them. How can we not share that? You know, growing up, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm from a religious family. I'm from a, a, I'm a pastor's kid. And I knew how to pretend that I had all the answers. I knew if I combed my hair a certain way, wore certain clothes, did certain things, that people would be pleased with me. And it came down to a day when I was in college, right after September 11th. I looked up to heaven and said, I have no answers. I've been faking. But I just heard a message and they said that when one of us trusts you, heaven throws a party. I thought my whole life that you didn't even want to save me. You didn't want me. I had to impress you. I had to show you what I, how serious I was. And now I'm reading that you throw a party when I accept you. How could I not? That moment changed my life. From then on, I have been dedicated to finding men and women who have said, you know what, I don't, I don't think I can impress him enough. And I have dedicated my life to saying that God loves you. He loves you for who you are. In fact, the Bible says God so loved the world. It's not like God just loves us. You know, we say a lot of things like love. Oh, I love so-and-so. God says, I don't just love you. I so love you. Like, I love you so much that it's ridiculous. It's crazy how much I love you. I am fascinated by you. So much so that if everything I created, the sum total of all of my creation fell apart, I'd let it go and grab onto you. That's how much I love you. We have a God who can span the universe like this. The entire universe fits in his hand. and He's consumed with us. How can we not share that? I understand that we may not have all the answers. We may be, we're just, we're just civic servants who are here today. We, we don't have all the answers. I just, I just work at the speaker's house or I, I just city council. I, I don't have everything. I don't know everything. We got Jesus. And I believe that if we're just foolish enough to stop realizing who we're not, we start looking at who he is, and we just start saying, man, I don't know, but I know Jesus. He loves you. This city change. The church at Jerusalem was recorded as turning the world upside down. Why not Fellowship Baptist? Why not my church, High Street Baptist? Why not? Why can't, if they can do it, we can because we're the same sinners. We're all a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody who died for us. Let's go do it. Don't worry about who you're not. Worry about who he is.